Chapter 13 of the book of Acts. Going to begin reading at verse 1. The Word of God says, as recorded by Luke under the inspiration of the Spirit, now there was in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate thee, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed. Father, we're thankful tonight that you love us. Thankful, Lord, that you allow us to love you. And we're thankful, God our Father, for all that that means to us, how it stirs our heart, how it quickens our spirit, how, Lord, it causes us to long to love you more and to know you more that we can. We're thankful for your people tonight, for your presence, and pray, God, as we look into the Word of God, that you might give us ears to hear, hearts to understand, minds to receive. And Father, I pray if there be one lost among us, that you would convict them of their sins, convince them of their need of Jesus, and help them to leave here like Brother Mike said they could as a new creation, a new creature in Christ. We'll praise you for it if we ask it. In the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior, and all of God's people said, Amen. I'm not going to reread that again. I want you to pay attention to verse 1 with me as we look at this message the Lord has laid on my heart. And I want you to think with me about five men every church needs. Thank God for men in the church. No, no, that's not good enough. Let's try that again. Thank God for men in the church. I mean, really, godly men, men filled with the Holy Ghost, men that are capable, men that are able. Hey, look, if you come from a place where Debbie and I did, men came at a, at, at a, at a great premium, I'm telling you. We went to a lot of churches, many women, just a few men. And look, you, you all got more men in your choir a lot of times than I've seen in a lot of churches that we've evangelized in over home. When I came to Charleston and saw all the men, man, I'll tell you, it made me rejoice. And look, brothers, if God can take 12 men and turn the world upside down, just think what he could do with all of us here at Roxalana if we sold out to God. If we became a Barnabas, if we became a, a, a Simeon, if we became a Lucius, a Manian, or, or, or a man by the name of Saul. As we begin to look at this passage, I want you to know that, that it comes about 15 years after Pentecost. Pentecost starts in the book of Acts, the church being inaugurated or homogenized or brought together as a group under the Spirit of God, infilled and dwelt continually with the Spirit of Almighty God. And the church progressed over, over a series of events and a series of time. Chapter 9 marks a great turn in the history of the church when Saul, uh, the, the Pharisee, was converted. Chapter 10, we find Peter taking the keys of the kingdom down to a place called Caesarea Maritime where a Roman centurion by the name of Cornelius wanted to get saved. And when Paul preached the gospel, they all got converted, friend. Just things happened just like it did on Pentecost. When you turn into chapter 11, Peter gives a great report of what happened in chapter 10 at the church of Jerusalem. 
Corinth. Chapter 12 picks up and we find Paul being prayed out of prison, unfortunately, to the surprise of those that were praying. Let me ask y'all something. Let's change the way we pray. Let's don't pray and be surprised when God answers our prayer. Let's pray expecting God to answer our prayer. And then we come up to chapter 13 where the mission works of the church is begun. If you remember, Jesus told him in the first chapter of the book of Acts, he said, now look, when the Spirit has come, when you're being endued with power upon high, you're going to be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, meaning the Gentile world. When Paul was converted, he was to be the apostle to the Gentile world as Peter was to the Jewish world. And this chapter marks a great change in the history of the church and the setting forth of the gospel. And listen to what the Word of God says. Even in this sexist age, even in this day when women don't understand the difference, and I'm not talking about you all necessarily, but if this fits you, I'm not trying to apologize. Women that don't understand the teaching of the Word of God that teaches order and not the value of a woman compared to a man. Now, anybody didn't get that, I want to stay here and clarify it. Anybody didn't get it, say, look, when the Word of God sets forth the difference between man and woman, in reality, it's to lift a woman to a degree that they can't imagine. And it's not about whether man is more valuable than a, a, a woman. That's not true. But God had just set an order for us to follow in the world. When we do it, the world, believe it or not, is much better off. You know, news flash from glory. God knew what he was doing. When he created man, and when he said, look, God's going to be over Christ, Christ's going to be over man, and man's supposed to be over a woman in order of things. I didn't write this book. I've just been called to declare it. And thank God there were five men in the church of Antioch, which was, by the way, the new headquarters of the church. It was totally Jewish at the beginning, chapter 2 of the book of Acts. There, there wasn't a Gentile on the property uh, unless they were proselyted or converted uh, Gentiles from their heathendom into uh, 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 the law, into Mosaic idea. And then they had been, listen, converted on that day. And now the message of grace and the good news of the gospel was going into all the world and I say glory to God and can I tell y'all this in chapter 10 of the book of Acts ought to be one of your favorite chapters in the Bible sure should if you're a Gentile and everybody in here that's not a Jew is a Gentile say amen right there so as we begin to look at this, we find some things about these men that, that, that are astounding in the Word of God. I'm not going to spend long preaching them. I'm not even going to spend long introducing them. And it says, now there was in the church at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. They were men. They, they were there. Listen now, they were growing in grace and in knowledge. They had been called, uh, listen, to a certain ministry uh, in this Christian life that they had been chosen to. They had met Christ. I mean, for instance, the first one we're going to look at is Barnabas. We first run into Barnabas in chapter 4 of the book of Acts. He was a Jew. He was a Levite. He was a rich man. He sold a piece of property, laid all the money at the feet of the apostle and said, now do with it what you want to minister to the saints. 
He was a remarkable man, but he was still growing. Can I tell you, listen, listen, please listen. One of the most dangerous things anybody could do as a believer, man, woman, boy, or girl, is get to the place where they say or think, I have arrived. If you ever get to that place, friend, you ought to let somebody come by and shake the snot out of you and cause you to realize you've just arrived at a new place where you can continue to go forward for the cause of Christ. There is no place to sit down on this side of eternity. We ought to be wanting to finish well and running the last mile of the way. Amen. You know what I pray? God, I want to finish well. I mean that. And I didn't know to pray that when I, I was your all's age. But I want to finish well. And you know what? You've got to be intentional to finish well. But let's think about Barnabas. You know, you know what they tell me about Barnabas? He, he, in his name and his ministry and his person, reminds us of how sweet the Lord is. How many of y'all think the Lord is sweet and who he is and what he does? Say amen. I mean, Barnabas already told you many things about him, but he's a unique man. Do you know what? Many times we hear people say, well, you know what? There's some unique people down at that church. Newsflash, that's not a compliment generally. Am I right? I mean, they're saying that in some kind of an arbitrary, critical way. But all you know what we ought to be able to say about people, ought to be able to say about Roxalana, man, they got, thank God, some unique people down there. There's some people like Barnabas and, and Simeon and, and Manion and Saul and, and Lucius, you know what I'm saying, that stand out and above everybody else. We all have a place. We all have a purpose. God has a plan specifically for me and you. And you know what the things about Barnabas was? I'm going to give you two of them together because they really can't be separated. He was a good man full of the Holy Ghost. Well, you say, preacher, what's the key to being filled with the Holy Ghost? Number one, wanting to be. I mean, the Bible said, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You've got to want to be filled with the Spirit of God. Be controlled by the Spirit of God before the Spirit of God will ever control you. You've got to give way to Him. You've got to be willing to let the God guide you when it's not easy. Y'all getting awful quiet. This is still good preaching. Good man. He was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost. The second thing to be full of the Holy Ghost is, listen, friend, you, you've, got, you've got to have a vessel that's able to hold uh, the, uh, the feeling of the Holy Spirit. You know what's wrong? Listen, can, can, can I be honest with you? What I think is wrong with many, many Christians many, many times, it's not that they just go out and do ugly things all the time. It's not that they're just, you know, perched on their branch and seeking to do evil and wicked things. It's just many times in this society, and I've said it for years, I've preached it for years, one of the greatest devices, successful devices that the enemy is using on us in America today is that he's keeping us busy. So it's not that good people aren't doing good things. It's just they've replaced the best, uh, the, the, the best thing for the good things and they're okay with it. Hey, listen, friend, in order to be filled with the Spirit, in order to be used by God, we've got to die to ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus daily. We've got to lose our life in order to gain our life because if we gain our life, we'll lose it. That's Bible. That's Bible. 
Oh, Barnabas, man, he was quite a man. You say, what else do you know about him, preacher? Well, I like these three things that I'm going, I'm going to give you. And I've got one more and I'll move on. You know what Barnabas was? He was an exhorter. He was a consoler. He was an encourager. You know what Barnabas would do? He'd come up and put his arm around even Jerry Stover and say, man, you're doing a great job. And Jerry Stover, you're doing a great job. Don, don't you appreciate your, your second? Can I call him that? I mean, he, hey, he, he chose an invitation song like you would today. Man, he preached the song, the only song that should have been sung after my message on the love of God. I love Jerry Stover. He just doesn't love himself sometimes. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? How many of you all like to be encouraged? Well, sure. How many, when you're down and out, like somebody to come up to you and console you? How many of you all like to be exhorted and say, now listen, now listen, not false pretense. I'm talking about the real, you can do this. I see God working in your life. Look, go for it. You just wait. You pray. You leave it up to God. But you go for that until you find out it's not what God wants you to do. That's the way old Barnabas was. And you know what? Listen now. Here's my final point on him. He didn't change. He was faithful. He was consistent. How many of you all, and be honest, think a minute to think, and I'm going to give me a drink of water. How many of you all, after you heard of the conversion of Paul, would be willing to run up to him, put your arm around his neck, and say, welcome in the family, brother? Guess who did? Barnabas. Now, I don't know if he had met Saul, heard him preach, what the case may be, but that spirit somewhere or another that dwells in us, he knew it dwelled in Saul, and when the church wouldn't accept him in Jerusalem, old Barnabas put his arm around Paul's neck and said, look, I got a little pull with those men. They know me, Paul. Hey, listen, I sense the Spirit of God in you. Let's go. I'll get you in that place, and if they don't accept you, me and you both will leave. Barnabas never changed. How many of y'all remember when Paul and Barnabas stopped out or started out right here in chapter 13 on their first missionary journey? That the word of God, listen now, here's the order, Barnabas and Saul. But after a while, according to God's will, that was changed from Barnabas to Saul to Paul and Barnabas. Now in this same chapter, if you read the next verse, you'll find that John Mark had started with them to be their minister. Old John Mark, he was fired. He was young, didn't have the stamina that the Apostle Paul had. Maybe he was sheltered at home. I have no idea. But before long, friend, he left Barnabas and Saul went back home. He didn't leave the Lord. Well, when they got back home, began to give their missionary report, you know, to the church. No, Paul said, look, Barnabas, let's go. Let's, let's go visit the churches that we planted. Let's go encourage them and see if there's another place we can find to preach the gospel that nobody's preached the gospel. And you know what he said? And, and two, he said, I want to take old John Mark back with us. Well, y'all know what? Paul said, no, sir. So sharp was their dissension between. Now, you think about these good, godly men early in the church that they had such a disagreement that they separated God gave Paul Silas, but Barnabas kept John Mark. Now, who was wrong, who was right? There's really in some time, in some of these situations, there's nobody that's really, quote, right or wrong. 
And let me tell you what I believe, and I mean this sincerely. If Paul was here, he'd say amen because he's going to amen it. And what I'm going to tell you, he said about John Mark in 2 Timothy 4. He would have said, I was wrong. I, I, I was too eager. I was too fired up. I didn't have time to develop him. I didn't see in John Mark what Barnabas did. But Barnabas was right. You said, how do you know that? When Paul was in his swan song, soon to be a, a, a departure, a depart, soon to have his departure to heaven uh, with his head cut off, you know what he did? He said, hey, Timothy, when you come, bring John Mark with you because he's profitable. To me in the ministry, we need men in this church that can see in other people, men and women alike, God working in people's life. Number two, look at the next man. His name is Simeon or Simon Niger. This man was from uh, Serene which is on the coast of the northern part of Africa, on the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, he was unique. If you go to the book of Mark chapter 15, you'll find that he had two sons with the name of Alexander and, and Rufus. And, and this man, friend, this man, well, he had a great opportunity. He was a man. He was a man when you thrash it all out um, that represents the suffering of Jesus. He was a man that happened to be. Y'all hear that phrase? He didn't know he was there by divine order. He had no idea what that day would bring to him. He was in Israel, probably a proselyted Jew. He was there, no doubt, had been there for Pentecost to celebrate. And you know what he ran, you know, not what, but you know who he ran into? He ran into a man with the name of Jesus on his way to Calvary. And out of everybody in that city that day, and there were millions there because it was one of the three feasts that the children of Israel were commanded by God, the males to be there at Jerusalem to worship him. One man by the name of Simeon was chosen by a Roman guard. Hey, hey, this is my third newsflash tonight. I'm liking this. Newsflash, there's no such thing as fate. No such thing as luck. No such thing as chance. No thing, no such thing as, well, it's just a coincidence. The Bible said the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. There this man, Simeon, was. And what they refer to as the Via Della Rosa, it was just the way of the cross at that time. We've walked the traditional Via Della Rosa. I've walked it, privileged to walk it five or six times. I don't know if that is it. It's the traditional route, but I know this from Gabbatha, it's all uphill to Golgotha. I do know that. I don't care the route, it's all uphill. And there, Jesus after that he had been brutalized and scourged and crowned with thorns, mocked and scoffed at, they laid the cross beam on his shoulders, and he, bearing his cross, went forth to Calvary. And on the way, now listen, y'all may, may say you're wrong, but I'm going to stay with it until I get the glory to ask him. I do not believe Jesus fell under the weight of that cross. I don't believe he fell to the ground like, well, the Catholics do. You see, one of the stages of the Via Della Rosa 
shows Jesus on his knees with the cross on him. I'm going to tell you, friend, I know it wore him out because he had been about beaten to death at a Roman scourging post. But I just cannot for the life of me see him falling. Now, if you do, that's okay. I'll leave you good with yours if you leave me good with mine. But I do believe it was hard on him. I can't remember how heavy it was, but it was pretty heavy, especially for a man that had been beaten to the point that he didn't even look like a man. That Roman soldier said, look, we're not getting there quick enough. Hey, you didn't know the man by the name of Simon, didn't have any idea, didn't care the color of his skin. You come and take this man's cross. I don't know, I can't help but think. Somewhere or another, when Simeon got close enough to Jesus, that he looked in his eyes. I, I can't help but believe that. At that time, there no doubt in my mind, there was blood on that beam that had come off of Jesus, where he had been scourged and beat, and his beard had been plucked from his face. The thorns that were on his brow and the, and the blood that no doubt him. Can you imagine? Here Simeon was. He wasn't caring about his garments. He wasn't too happy. What were going to happen to his boys? But you know what I think? I believe when Simeon got to Calvary, he stayed there. I believe he listened. I believe he watched. And I believe everywhere after that, everywhere Simeon went, he said, hey, let me tell you where I've been. Let me tell you what I've done. I've been to Calvary. I've met the Lord. I've had his blood applied to my life. We need men like that who have been to Calvary. Can you imagine him taking that garment home? I don't believe he washed it. I don't believe he changed it from Jerusalem the Cyrene. Now I'm just imagining that I believe he went in and his wife said, like many wives do, and I don't mean this mean, it's a good legitimate question. It's all in how you ask. Where have you been? You're later than what I expected you. And can you imagine him saying, well look, you see anything strange about my clothes? Look, well, that's blood. Well, look, I've had to tell everybody that I've seen from Jerusalem to here how I got the blood on me, whose it is, and what it means. We've got a story to tell, and if we've really been to Calvary, it ought to stir us up to tell. Who's next in order? The next man we run into is a man of the name of Lucius. He was from Cyrene, too. Isn't it amazing? We don't know much about Lucius, but we've got to use our imagination a little bit. Let me tell you who I think Lucius uh, 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 kind of, or what Lucius kind of reminds me of. And may I say, please everybody listening right now, please listen, say amen if you are. It's okay, it's okay to live in the shadows of others if that's where God has his design for you. I never forget one time when I was a, an associate pastor at Mountain Mission. When I was, six and a half, seven of the easiest years I've ever had in ministry. You say, why? Well, Fairley McCormick was the pastor. I loved that man. I honored him. Brother Benny Randolph was, was the board chairman. And when somebody would come to me and said, preacher, da-da-da-da-da, I'd say, you need to see Benny or Fairley. It was beautiful, do you hear me? It was perfect. Somebody said, why in the world are you doing associate pastor work? And I'd look at him with marvel and I'd think, 
because this is where God wants me to be at this time. I was perfectly fine with it. Matter of fact, I miss it. Matter of fact, Josh rubs it in on me every now and then and says, don't you die too early, he says all the time. But here's what I will say about looseness. He was one to the Lord, maybe, by a man that said, look, look what I've got. You see this blood? You know where it come from? I met a man on the way to Calvary. I carried his cross. He was Christ. I watched him die. I heard him say, take to lest I. I heard the soldiers say, hey, truly this was the Son of God. And he changed my life. And you know what? Alicia said, I want my life changed too. You know, we need people. Don't we, Steve, aren't it behind the scenes that minister you never hear anything about them. You never have any problem from them. But you know they're just faithful day in and day out. Now listen what I want to tell you. We've got many of those in this fellowship of faith. Y'all do know that, don't you? And I don't know of anybody that's doing any ministry here that's out tooting their horn. Y'all know one of the reasons I don't like ministerial meetings and groups or being a part of them? Now, I used to be, but I grew up. That will offend some people. I'm not trying to be offensive, but... But you, you know what I read one time about what ministerial meetings are like when you get a bunch of preachers together? Somebody said, and it's pretty good, pretty good illustration, pretty good metaphor. It's kind of like, like a traffic jam. Everybody's tooting their own horn trying to get out front. Amen. Don't y'all laugh too much. Christians are like that in general. So. Can you imagine, though, being a Lucius? I mean, maybe, listen, friend, he, he was just happy to be a part of the work of the Lord, and he was willing to fit in wherever God could use him. Let me give you two more and we're going to quit. Then we come to a man, I couldn't pronounce his name Wednesday, but it's Mannion. I just couldn't get it. it it's amazing how this mind of mind does not work. But Mannion is an example of somebody that is separated to the, uh, to the Lord from the world like Jesus was to the Lord. Now, he is an interesting character. And you know what we find out about him? This is what it says, so, so you can get it. Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tatriarch, or Tetriarch, excuse me. This Herod was Herod Antipas, or Antipas, who was the son of Herod the Great. And by the way, do you all know why Herod was great? He was wicked now. I mean, that man was wicked. He had some deep psychosis. I mean deep psychosis. And you know what caused it? Sin. I mean, he was given to perversion, gross perversion. But he was great because of the architectural um, feats that he accomplished. He was amazing when it came to architecture. But when it came to life and spirituality, he was a train wreck of the worst kind. But this man, by the name of Manian, grew up in the courtyard with this fella uh, uh, by the name of Herod Antipas. Isn't that amazing? Right alongside of him, he grew up with him. The, the, they, they even said that, that boys that, that grew up and played with, with this guy at the palace, you know, these children of Herod, they called them, quote, foster children, unquote. That's what I've read. Now, I'm just telling you what I've read. They played together. They were of similar age. They went to school together. They studied together. They laughed together. They did all kinds of things together. But, I don't know about you, 
At that time when people looked at this little fellow by the name of Manion. I like that name, by the way. And this fellow by the name of Herod. Guess who they thought had it better than the other? They imagined, oh, Herod did. Well, let me tell you the truth and then we'll move on and quit. Manion became a believer. Herod became a murderer. Manion built up men. Herod brutalized men. Manion found salvation. Herod found damnation. I'll tell you what, friend. He was not only saved from something, he was saved for something. Let me give you the last one. Saul. We've learned a few things on Wednesday night about Saul, haven't we, Greg? We got here one night and somebody asked a great question. You know, where did the word Paul come from? If I knew it, I had forgotten it. I couldn't give an answer for the life of me. Greg spoke up and said, it is his Roman name. And it was, and it is. And he was a Roman. His father was a Roman, and Paul was born a Roman. I mean, it played out well with him and for him. Saul was converted on the road to Damascus. And here in chapter 13 is the first time the word Paul is used instead of Saul. So if you read the rest of chapter 13, you'll get, because I told Greg the last time we were, what, last week or the week before, when did he start calling him Paul? And I told you I wasn't sure, but if we read through, when we find it the first time mentioned, we can get a pretty good idea. So it was several years after Paul was converted. Now listen, listen. Thank you, Lord. This is, this is something I hadn't thought of, but it's good, and I'm almost done. Do you know what it takes us a while to grow in grace and knowledge? For young people, and I have learned this, I didn't have it when I first started preaching. I was so, so dumb and so full of zeal, but so empty of knowledge. We ought to give young Christians a lot of latitude in learning how to be a Christian. And say, I don't have any problem with that. What I do have a problem with, somebody says they've been saved 20 years and still act like a baby. Oh, newsflash, because they are a baby. Ooh, y'all got quiet. I've got a message that I'd like to preach sometime, but I'm afraid of you. No, I'm not. God's just not giving it to me yet. But you know, you, you, well, never mind. Never mind. I'll meddle if I do that, but I've got a license, and that's not what this message is about but Saul of Tarshish isn't it amazing what kind of man he was now Saul would put us in mind of service he was dedicated to the Lord man right out listen right out of the gate Paul said what would you have me to do for you Lord see that sign over there we've been praying for years on Tuesday hopefully we're still praying Right, that's where that comes from. Chapter 9 of the book of Acts, it comes from the mouth of the apostle Paul. At that time was still Saul, who all of a sudden, listen, met Jesus, a man with nail prints in his hands and in his feet. He had heard uh, the great message by Stephen in chapter 8, got under conviction, and met the Savior himself in chapter 9, and was changed from then on. Right out of the blocks, Paul was on the move. Paul, friend, listen, was doing what he was built to do. You know what he was doing? He was remarkably gifted in many, many, many ways. You know what Paul was? He was spiritually in tune with God, was he not? Paul, for instance, we're in the book of Romans. 
It comes to my mind real clearly. Paul for years, I even said in the introduction that I believe from the day that Ananias prayed with him, God moved the scales off of his eyes when he told him, when Ananias said, now listen buddy, you're going to take the gospel to kings and, and, and great men. I believe at that day Saul said, man, I've got to get to Rome. And it was 20 years at least, the best I can figure out, before Paul was able to go. And you know what he did? He went there as a prisoner. But it didn't cost the church a dime. I just find that funny. I mean, I just find that kind of stuff hilarious. Rome paid for it all the way. He was was an intellectual. And he he was at home among the Jews, among the Greeks, among the Gentiles. Can I tell you all something in the book of 1 2 Corinthians? Forget where it's at. When Paul said, he said, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means win some. To the Jew I became a Jew, to the, to the Greek I became a Greek. Listen, listen. Paul did not compromise the message of the gospel in order to do that. Paul met men where they were at. Y'all, y'all, did y'all get that? He met them as they were, where they were at. He joined with them. He didn't change his message. He changed his manner of ministering the message to them. You've got to do that as a preacher. Can I tell you all something? It's one of the best places I've ever preached in my life. Now that's a compliment to you all. Do you hear me? It takes a work in this pulpit and in the pews to make that happen. Trust me. When preachers come to this church, they love to come and get in this pulpit. They love to preach to you all. Kevin Jennings is excited about being here. I'm excited about Kevin being here. They say it's one of the favorite preachers. Some of them even say it's my favorite place to preach. Listen, if y'all don't know this, I do, but y'all may shouldn't know it because you're not the pastor. It don't happen that way by accident. It it, it just don't happen by accident. But I'm telling you, friend, wherever Paul went, he was at home and he just preached the gospel. Look, come on, Miss Judy. He had had something that not many of us had. He, he, where you at? He's like this woman. I'm telling you what's the truth. She's got, she's got Everettis in her. It's all I can figure. I love you, Mom. She beats anything. She was back there on the seat. She and I were chatting before church, and she was all aglow telling me about her 13 children that were downstairs, how Carson goes for his money when it's offering time. She said, I don't do much but sit there, but she's still at 90 what? 90 what? How old are you? 93, she still helps teach kindergarten. She's got some of the Apostle Paul in her. Kind of men we need in church. We need women like this too, so don't you all feel left out. And I tell you, I've been in churches that there wasn't for women, there'd be no church. I don't know the complete history of Roxalana Gospel Tabernacle, but I hear during the war that it was pretty thin of men. When Dorcas, was Dorcas a part of it then? Was you a part of it then in the war? Your mom, Randy, maybe? Your grandmother? I'm not sure. And you know what? Women would step up and do whatever they... Now listen, this is a godly woman. They'll step up and do what they need to do when it's needed done. 
until a man that's capable to do what they've been doing will be willing to do it, and they'll step down. Can I tell you what's wrong in the world when it comes to women and families and stuff? Now, women, y'all think I'm going to jump on you. You're going to love me after I say this. It's not your problem. You're not the cause of it. It's the daggone men in this world that won't be men. That didn't cost you a dime. But it's true. It's just true. Now, ladies, y'all been fed a big lie, bought into it. Not all of y'all. I'm not talking about I'm talking about general. Back in the 60s when they got in that rebellion stuff. We're still paying for the decades of the 60s, by the way. Those people that weren't in hailing, they're in power on Capitol Hill. That ought to cause everybody to stay awake in prayer tonight. We need these kind of men and women. And you all that are still, I call you young because you are. You may not know exactly what all God has in store, but He's forming you, He's fashioning you. He's molding you, he's making you, and hopefully and prayerfully, there's two or three in this church that you can watch as examples and, and want to be like. I remember when I, I re, listen, I'm testifying now, I'm done preaching. I remember when I was a young, young Christian. I don't know, I just, I just loved about everything that happened in the church. When, when somebody would sing alto, and that's the lead singing, that's what Dawn uh, sings when she leads a choir, anybody else, they sing not alto, but soprano. I wanted to sing soprano. When I'd get between Seth that led the choir and my grandfather that sung tenor, I'd want to sing tenor. I mean, when I hear my grandmother Walker pray, I'd want to pray like Mama Walker. When I'd hear somebody preach like Bob Workman, and Bob Workman was amazing. He was a sweet man, wasn't he, Debbie? And he is a man that when he preached, when the anointing fell on him, you, anybody in there could tell. You remember him, Greg? Bobby Workman's that great. Just a, I, I never seen anything like it. He'd get up and he'd start introducing, start kind of in his message. And buddy, when the anointed come, it would change him totally, wouldn't it, Debbie? I wanted to preach like you. Understand what I'm saying? If anybody could do something good with the touch of God on it, that's what I wanted. We ought to want that. You all should too. Follow after him. Spend time with him. Make sure if you want to. Make sure if you want to be something that you choose the right people to be something like. Amen. Well.